0: Welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today, a conversation on science, nature, and spirituality. Our program is sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society with host Daniel Strain. Hello and welcome to Spiritual Naturalism Today. I'm Daniel Strain and I'm joined by co-host Jay Forrest. Hello. When you think of paganism, you may think about deities, gods, Wicca, but it might surprise many people to know that there is such a thing as naturalistic paganism. Today we'll be talking about naturalistic paganism in our interview with our special guest, B.T. Newberg.
1: Hello.
0: Thanks for joining us, B.T.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here once again.
0: (laughs) B.T. is an author, editor, teacher, and husband Since 2000, he has been practicing meditation and ritual from a naturalistic perspective. Upon leaving the Lutheranism of his raising, he experimented with agnosticism, Buddhism, contemporary paganism, and humanism. He now blends all of these experiences into his life as a spiritual naturalist. After founding the community blog humanisticpaganism.com, Professionally, he holds a master's degree in education and teaches English as a second language. Having lived in England, Malaysia, Japan, and Korea, BT Newberg currently resides in the place of his birth, Minnesota, with his wife and cat. BT is also former education director for the Spiritual Naturalist Society. He is no longer a regular co host on SN Today, but sometimes returns as guest co host. So, what about that bt um what do you say when people ask you about uh what about gods how can there be a naturalistic paganism
1: how can there be a naturalistic any religion i guess i mean <laughs>
0: every
1: hmm. every religion whether you're talking about judaism christianity uh or any of the others that we're familiar with um, in the spiritual natural society and that listeners of SN today are familiar with. All of them have, uh, sides to it that are deeply anthropomorphic superstitious in some sense, um, supernatural. And yet we find ways to, uh, approach those traditions from a naturalistic perspective. And it's very much the same when it comes to paganism. So paganism is to distinguish it now from those is, there's different ways to uh, define it or describe it, which, not surprisingly, is fraught with controversy among its print practitioners. The broadest way to define it is any kind of non-Abrahamic religion. So non-Christian, non-Jewish, non-Muslim religion. To me, that kind of sucks because <laughs> it doesn't really say much. <laughs> it's way too broad um, to be a little more specific. Paganism tends to refer more to pre-Christian religions, mainly from Europe, but also from other areas uh, that tend to have, A, more than one deity in its pantheon, and B, some kind of focus or connection to the natural world, whether that is uh, by the gods having some sort of power and influence in the world like a god of the sun a god of the moon or by those gods or spirits actually like being a part of the earth itself or you know imbuing it with its spiritual essence something of that kind that's that's kind of to me the major characteristics shared by most pagan traditions in the world now When you talk about a pagan today in, say, America or, I don't know, Western Europe or something, chances are what people might be referring to is more what's technically called neo-paganism, which is any path that looks back to the pre-Christian traditions that I was talking about and takes that as inspiration for a modern path, a modern tradition, Uh, and um, that's... That's pretty much what I, how I would describe paganism. I myself am a naturalistic pagan, which is a subset of it, where I don't believe in any kind of literal deities, literal magic, literal any of that kind of thing. But I take a strictly naturalistic perspective toward what I'm doing.
2: Yeah, when I think of paganism, the, of course, the probably the largest branch of paganism is uh, Wicca. Which deals with uh-huh. witchcraft and magic and things of that nature, but there's also other ones um, that are fairly mm-hmm. large, such as the uh, the druid druidry. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's also um, people sometimes lump in Shema, uh, shamanic uh, traditions, yep, such as Africa. So. Yep,
1: mm-hmm. and then or in other places.
2: Yep, and another one that uh, when I was in the Theosophical Society, one of the ones that I uh, discovered was also true which is the religion of the vikings and i think there is this desire to because honestly the theistic religions are failing at least to deal with modern civilization and science and i think a lot of people are looking for something that is earth-based that is respecting mother earth and uh, that to me is is I think an instinct that we have, and we need to protect the earth because of the environmental damage that we're doing, and so that's part of it. Part of it is finding your tradition, you know where did your you know ancestors come from? Would you also consider Native Americans also to be within that the pagan tradition?
1: Well, that kind of gets uh, yes and no, that kind of gets back to um the question of like how broad should the umbrella be right and really? you're going to get a different answer from every pagan that you ask and yeah, and also it's going to depend also on each person's sort of ethnic sensibilities, right? right? Like sometimes there are traditions that look very pagan to some people and yet the people from those are like no, this is my tradition, you can't have it, right? right? And right. so yes and no,
0: right? Yeah, when you said uh, non-Abrahamic religion, I immediately started thinking about a lot of uh, religions in the East, and it seems kind of odd to think of Buddhism, for example, as uh, paganism. Yep.
2: And, and yet the the term was actually, um, the word pagan wasn't used by people who were we call pagans now. They Not didn't original. call themselves, no. It was something that the Christians used as a means to differentiate themselves from the, the, the local traditions they call yeah. them pagans. And that's where the, the broad from a Christian viewpoint. Yes. Uh, Buddhists are pagans, Taoists are pagans, but within the system itself, I mean, if there's any kind of coherence um, like the things you were talking about, you know, nature-based polytheistic, well, of course, instantly Buddhism and Taoism are eliminated from that. That's why I thought your definition was actually good because it differentiates some of the non-theistic religions as just religions in their own right, not under the the banner of paganism. That's why I was kind of wondering, because I've heard uh, people go back and forth um, on whether Native Americans are pagans or whether they're shamans or or which tradition, you know, the big umbrella they would go under. Mm.
1: Well, I don't know why uh, Buddhism and Taoism would be eliminated um, due to not having a connection to nature,
2: no. Um, it'd be Buddhism,
1: a- so go. Sorry, go ahead.
2: It's the polytheistic part. Oh, you said, you said polytheistic. Well, Buddhism
1: does have gods. Buddhism does have multiple deities. It's just it varies which Buddhist you ask how real those
0: deities are. <laughs> certain honest. certain types of Buddhism in certain places tend to be more into that than other places. I right, guess. Yeah. right.
1: There's and right. and so does Taoism. Taoism has lots
0: mm-hmm.
2: of deities too,
1: but. In any case, it, mm-hmm. it it it's it's the same point. The the more you pursue the question, the, the the greater the range of answers. Correct. Um so, yeah, it's basically just understanding that there's no one final answer to it. So, there you go. Yeah,
2: um, and and letting the people that, within their tradition define whether or not, you know. Exactly. Yeah, Exactly.
1: Um one thing that I did want to point out though is that it in a in a in a fuzzy gray kind of distinction kind of way most pagan traditions tend not to be salvation-type religions, um, or at least much less so than you think of as the Abrahamic religions being salvationistic or um, Buddhism being about salvation. It's not; They're generally not the kind of religion that first posits there's something wrong with the world, and then posits here's how to fix what's wrong with the world it's much more generally like this is the world and we are part of it. We're we, not like strange aliens visiting this planet and then trying to get back, um, you know, to wherever transcendent realm we came from. It's more like we came out of it. We are the children of the world. However, there, I can think of examples of pagan religions that aren't that way. So again, there's always caveats. So,
0: what about the take on, uh, I know for naturalistic paganism, uh, this would be quite different, but in general in paganism, what about their take on the afterlife or living beyond death or that kind of thing?
1: Uh, yeah, many people have, uh, a concept of the afterlife. Um, to me, those concepts, um, I mean, I would see them more in a psychological sense rather than any literal afterlife. Um, but sure, there's plenty of that. There's the Summerlands for anybody who's uh, kind of follows more of a Celtic kind of pantheon, um, Valhalla. People are familiar with that you know, within the um, you know Nordic tradition, uh, and and so on. Um, yeah, so it, it does it include that, but it's not but it's not necessarily about um, avoiding hell or achieving right. paradise.
2: Right. And Wicca, for an example, um, one of the things that they have kind of incorporated is the idea of reincarnation or rebirth.
1: Yeah, and a lot of neo-pagans sign on wholeheartedly to the whole karma and yep. re- reincarnation yeah. kind of notion.
2: Well, and that's mm-hmm. the other thing to, you know, Wicca is actually, it's a neo-pagan thing. It's it's a creation in the modern era mm-hmm. and and not... I mean some people think of wicca as being a tradition that was passed down generation after generation and it you know right. remains intact and was an organized system and it, it wasn't it was a, a recreation based upon yeah, the best historical records
1: Well well the first idea that you mentioned there was the original story that was that right. was the original tagline they were going with yeah. um which that was wicca is like a carry-on of survivals of pre-Christian folk traditions, and so on. But over the last century, um, half century, century during Wicca's actual um, lifetime, it's it historical research has been done, and the community has coming or has come around to pretty much wholeheartedly accepting the fact that nope, it. Wicca itself was, you know, was made up. They they um, they rooted it in inspiration from the past, but they just right. didn't have very great, you know, sources to go on. They wove things together, took from here, took from there, and if you think about it, that is a remarkable thing for a religious community to do, and in such a short amount of time.
2: Yeah, and that to, that was the amazing. thing.
1: of fifty years, fifty yep. years or less, to to go from, yeah we have this whole like story that we totally believe is true about our origins to be like, no, but it's still a good religion.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And and also the, the the amount of detail that's gone in Wicca, of course, as you can tell, is something I've studied much more in depth. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that surprises me is just how much area they've covered, you know, Mm -hmm. just the, I mean, it's a complete tradition And it was created, you know, really, really quickly to to cover, you know, holidays, celebrations, rituals, um, you know, philosophy, and and just the depth of it in such a short time is incredible to me. I I don't understand
0: how that would be a, a difficult question, too, as to whether it's continuing or not. In a way, it's sort of the same question about rebirth. It's like the ship with the pieces that get replaced over time at what point and for how long can a tradition be inactive to where you say this is now a reconstruction reconstruction right. versus you know for example in in i follow uh, stoicism so what happened to the stoa are we in the modern stoa now and yeah, this I'm, is a continuation or did we have to reconstruct it And is this no longer a continuation of the original Stoics? I think there's a big, but there is a big difference between
2: those two. Much of the the pagan tradition was wiped out. The Druids, for example, it's very hard to find any reliable information because the information we have was written by the antagonists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rome went in there and they, you know, pretty much maligned the druids who were really the philosophers of the intellectuals of the Celtic uh, people. And they portrayed him as sacrificing people and all this horrible stuff. But we find from actual research that that probably is not the case, but there's so scanty, you know, they didn't write books. The Stoics wrote books. We have a lot of books from the Stoics. And so there's, there is a difference between those two as well. Because with Wicca or the Druids or any of the, the the traditions that were really not literary, their works got obliterated, so we have to piece together and hints from the mythology. You know, what did they believe? Right. And and, and that is it, more difficult.
1: It's an interesting it's interesting too when you pose the question as what did they believe, because that's really a very much secondary question to a pagan it's not right i mean we have beliefs right but it's it's not about what you believe you can believe different things that what we share in common is practice more than anything um, and attitude it's an orthopraxic
2: yeah and uh, it's religion. also the attitude towards nature
1: yeah. yeah and that also goes back partly to uh, what you were saying about how fast they put together a whole like mm-hmm. uh uh a whole path that included everything and, and became so popular and spread. It, it, it really there's something about the the picture that they put together of modern paganism that is really attractive and resonates to people of our era.
2: Exactly. I think. Yes.
1: Part of it is um, the the potential that it has for the embrace of nature. And I say potential because originally, even when they were like starting with, um, getting Wicca going, it was not very nature focused. Um, later that came in kind of more in the sixties and on when environmentalism became big. Um, but the potential was always there because, you know, the deities were associated with nature. Um, the tradition was associated with the, the calendar year as it rolls, you know, the seasons and everything. Uh, So there's the the appeal for nature in our time and age of environmental crisis is really resonant for people. Another thing that resonates with it is sort of the alienation that so many people feel from others in their society and from nature. So I just talked about the nature part, so I don't need to recover that. But um, in terms of what an image like the witch or someone who practices magic, um, it kind of conjures this kind of outsider, slightly dangerous, liminal kind of feeling. Right. And a lot of people today have this kind of like outsider feeling. And there's something about that that resonates too. You find a, a much higher percentage of the pagan population is uh, gay, bi, um, or uh, trans, or uh, all kinds a whole variety of different kind Out, of like
2: outside um, this outside margins. the status quo. Yeah,
1: exactly. Liminal and marginal yep. populations. There's something really um, that draws that. And, and I think also we don't have good demographic terms for it. Just but just anybody who feels like, uh, you know, I'm not a super attractive jock or, or beautiful girl, you know, and you just kind of feel a little awkward. There's a lot of awkward people in paganism. <laughs> there just is. You go to any yeah. um, gathering and you'll you'll get the vibe, and I think it 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 calls to people who have that outsider feeling.
2: So I, I, I think that's uh, the, yeah that's one definitely one of its strengths.
1: Yeah, and yeah. the uh, the last thing I'll say is that it doesn't force you to believe in one way or another. It's more about attuning yourself to nature and its rhythms, or the folkloric traditions that you choose to. Um, you know, adopt. Right. It's much more about finding yourself within that and having this sense and coloration to the texture of your life and feeling a connection to the world around you and feeling it like the world is enchanted again. Right. Uh, right. That is really the crux of being a pagan. And that's the crux of the pagan experience. As opposed to believing the right things getting to the right afterlife etc
2: and that so, to me, well that to me is one of the the things that is most attractive about paganism is its diversity mm-hmm. everybody is welcome you know that there, there is not this exclusion although there are in some groups I'm not saying that yeah, you yeah. know
1: there's an asterisk yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but, but yeah. we try we try yes.
2: <laughs> and and the freedom to think the freedom to, explore the freedom to think your own thoughts, come to your own answers. Um, you know, the, the books that I've read have always encouraged that and always look to, you know, be as expanded and find your own tradition. And like you were saying, one of the things is, you know, yes, your beliefs are important, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The The point yeah. is to do the practice to, to connect right. with nature, to connect with your inner, you know, being to discover yourself to know that know thyself if you will
0: yep. yep so in terms of uh naturalism do you find that there are certain uh, uh certain types of paganism that are more uh more frequently found to be appealing to naturalists or less frequently or more that tend to be more or less Cause yes. i've heard that the druids uh sound a lot more naturalistic than the wiccans for example but
1: not necessarily no but they're i so if you if you carve up the pie by the kinds of group names or identifiers that they have like druids um witches etc if you go down that line then i would say no not really but wiccans and Wiccans, maybe a little bit more than the others. Um, those that are specifically out to reconstruct a, a specific folk tradition, like Yasatru, um, which is the Nordic um, one organization that reconstructs the Nordic tradition, for example, those are often a little more doggedly into hard polytheism. But hard polytheism, meaning belief that the deities Actually, are real and out there as beings, just like you and I are real beings. That 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 can be found all over, and it's actually very popular right now uh, among pagans. It's it's I'd, I would say it's the leading form variety of belief right now among pagans. But I would say that if you carve the pie up in a different way and say which ones are more in it to connect with nature, which ones are more in it to connect with um, some sort of cultural tradition, etc., that kind of thing. I would say the ones that are more in it to hug a tree <laughs> are much more attracted to naturalistic paganism. Although not me. <laughs> I actually I actually am in it because first of all, I, I was I was partly interested in nature. That's why I got it that That's actually my was my entry point when I got into it and started working with the idea of mythology and gods, which I remembered from when I was a kid reading the the Norse myths and the uh, it, it was, and it just it was like oh yeah I remember how great those were and I you know so it's like we can actually do this as a as a religion and get some kind of edification out of it and so on. This sounds great you know and I started getting into it and trying the rituals and things and. I found that working with deities, even praying to deities, even not even believing that there was nobody else outside of my own mind that's, that's hearing me, there's no one else on the other end, it worked for me. And that's kind of the focus of my personal pagan path more than anything else. I have those other things. I have nature. I have everything else like that in there. But for me, there's something deeply resonant And that goes to the root of how human psychology works about talking to another person, which comes out when you address a deity in prayer or address a a tree as if it can hear you or has feelings and you know that it doesn't. But you suspend disbelief and it makes a change in you, how you feel about that tree. How you feel about um, the ideals that the deity represents, it makes a change in you, and that is what's valuable to me about my path. And that's why my focus is more about gods, even though I don't believe in gods.
0: (laughs) And that's something I wanted to make – I wanted to address for our uh, listeners that may not know, um, our natural listeners that may not realize – is uh, the naturalistic paganism is uh, that take on paganism, which looks at deities in this way, um, almost a, um, would you say, kind of an archetype or personification as a tool?
1: Yeah, so the archetype goes back to Jungian psychology, and there are certainly those who prefer that. Um, Personally, I, I, I... don't find Jung's psychology persuasive in, in terms of how psychology actually works. I think we have actually good, hard psychological research that we can go on now, and if we have that, why not do it? But, hey, if Jung calls to you and it makes a difference to you, go for it. That's what I say.
0: <laughs> you almost um, so, just turned Jung into one of the deities. Uh, he kind of is to be. That statement.
1: <laughs> almost, almost. You know, Well, the archetypes kind of are.
0: Or the character of Jung in our collective history, uh, yeah, we could say.
2: Yeah, Joseph Campbell, actually, uh, in his The Power of Myth and The Hero of a Thousand Faces, brings that archetype. I think that the archetype part uh, has survived modern psychology. I think there is archetypes. I think that that uh, – I've heard some people – Some psychologists speculate that that's actually passed down in our language, the archetypes, that it's tied to the way that there's a common, you know, our common language is passed down. And within that language, there are kernels of archetypes that uh, as we grow and we mature and we think about things, that they, they crack open and we begin to understand the archetypes, the goddess, the god, those things. And we begin to see, you know, that these aspects that we, you know, put off into the, you know, supernatural realm are actually aspects of the natural world, and that helps us understand. Well, it does understand. what
1: you. Yeah, it does depend what you mean by by archetype, and um, mm-hmm. it's it's been uh, defined in so many different ways. So the Jung as a as a diagram, an attempted diagram of how human psychology works, I'm not so persuaded by. Um, but if you're talking about something like um, I forget the guy's name, but I think the book was something like the metaphors we live by or something. Right. That might be something of what you're referring to. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Some of that. Some of that could be. Um. You know. Very. Very valid.
2: Well, the thing is, uh, you know, these we we use terms, but a lot of times when we think of a term, you know, God, we think of the definition of the term. We don't think about the emotional quality of that word. There's right. an emotional element that brings, there's there's a sense of, uh, you know, superior, ideal, you know, all these things that are associated, the associated ideas. And these actually are transferred by our language and by our culture and, and by how we're raised and our experiences. These things, you know, make sense. Yes. To some people, and they don't make sense to others because there's different experiences, different cultures.
1: Yes, and that's, that's, that's right at the heart of how I, um, how my naturalistic paganism works. Um, so I guess I, I just wouldn't have used the word archetype to, to talk about that, but yes, that's we're right on the same page right now. Okay. So the, to me, it's not about the content of what you're saying. Right? Like if you're saying, oh, right. Zeus up in the clouds, right? I don't think he's actually up in the clouds. Right. It's about what happens inside you when you say that. It's about experience, not content.
2: Right.
1: So, yep, absolutely. Okay. If it makes you into a better person and it adds a welcome coloration and enchantment to your life, then to me, that is a functional pagan path.
0: You know, my wife and I were driving back from uh, Austin recently, and uh, we noticed the wildflowers on the side of the road uh, were starting to appear. It's uh, early spring as we record this, and um, I said something like uh, – oh, the, the flowers must know that we just had the spring equinox. And <laughs> we kind of giggled to <laughs> each other. And then she said, yeah, they do know. And then uh, things like that have come up from time to time because as a naturalist, you don't separate mind and body. Everything mm-hmm. is one integrated system, memory, thoughts, emotions. And so knowledge is just a state of matter. And in the, the more general sense of looking at it, there is uh, sort of in a information processing sense, there is a uh, a series of mechanisms that have that contain data in the sense that they are in that formation because of previous causes connected to things. so uh, you know in the most general sense, you can call that knowledge. you can call that uh, that
1: yes. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I have been I have long been fascinated by that idea. We're not talking about any kind of neural cognition right now. We're talking about to speak poetically about it, it it we're talking about like how does how does the water know to evaporate when it is heated up? How does the corpse know to decay away? How does the wind how does the mountain know to to break down when the wind blows upon it, hmm. eon upon eon? To me, that kind of knowledge of how to be in the world is the essence. That that's me feeling the gods moving through the
0: universe. Yeah, and you know, and people might say, well, that's just physics. But when we talk about our own knowledge and awareness and thoughts and opinions, that's physics too. Yeah. So my once response, you open the door one way, it opens the other way too.
1: If someone said, "Well, that's just physics," I would say, "Yeah, it's physics, but why do you say just
0: physics?" Right. Right. I mean,
1: why, why do you? Why? Why is it? Why does there's a sense of disappointment that it's physics?
0: And that's the enchantment you were talking about before. Exactly. Getting exactly. back that enchantment. That's part of that reuniting the sense of the sacred and the natural. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. do you find oh, – Go, go ahead, Jay. I was
2: thinking, too, that uh, I picked up a, a book on uh, worldviews, and one of the things they were talking about is um, the, the process that went from naturalism, which is the strict materialism, and then after that was nihilism, that if you nail everything down to just matter – life becomes pointless. What? That's what nihilism is. After nihilism came existentialism, which can, said, yes, there can is. Can you
1: stop for a second? Sure. What, what What historical era are we talking about? Where, is, is this? I don't understand. I'm not following,
2: really. Well, this is the beginning of the atheism. Um, when? During the, uh, I'd have to look I mean, at. atheism the book.
1: has been around since ancient Greece.
0: Yeah. Greece. Yeah, the.
1: Uh, well, I think we're talking about um, like in the la- in the twentieth.
0: century. Oh, post enlightenment.
2: Uh, yeah, post enlightenment.
0: Yeah. The you know because we got to that point where it's like God is dead and then. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know. Niet- uh, they- yeah, Nietzsche was the, the the culmination of nihilism, where God is dead, life is meaningless. Without God, anything goes, and then. Came the existentialists. Uh, Kierkegaard was was part of that, the religious part of it. And what they said is, yes, reality is one thing, but the subjective and objective are real worlds. The subjective mm-hmm. matters. The way that we feel about things matters. Yeah. It's not just matter. It's also inside of us. There's a there's a universe within inside of us. And that's important. Because if you just have this, and I'm, I mean it not in the sense of ontological, you know, just matter, but an attitude that nothing really matters because everything's just things. If everything's just mm-hmm. things, then you use things. If people are just things, then you use people. But if they become subjects, and that's what you're talking about enchanting the world. Mm hmm if the world becomes if the the planet becomes mother nature well how are you going to treat your mother would you throw trash on her belly would you pollute her no you'd respect her and honor her and that to me was the beginning of the roots of spiritual naturalism to find a or religious naturalism to find a way of connecting and what i find fascinating is it's not just happening among the spiritual religious naturalist. It's happening in every single tradition. Every single tradition is moving towards a respect and reenchantment of nature. You know, well, the
1: parts of them are, yeah.
2: Well, there parts find of them within exactly. each
1: different tradition.
2: Even Christianity, which is, you know, to me one of the hardest to naturalize because you have a transcendent God who's completely separate from the world, yet active in it. And such but yet, a primary
1: focus on afterlife.
2: Exactly, exactly. The whole salvation motif. You know, we just worry about, you know, getting to heaven. To hell be the world, you know?
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense that the... Uh, Kind of the forerunners of the traditions that are moving first into this naturalist realm that we're seeing the most identification with as spiritual naturalists are those that are, uh, like you said earlier, BT, um, their practice, their praxis uh, type traditions. Right, um, exactly. Like the Buddhism, the Stoicism, uh, paganism, and, you know, all of these types of things. Yep. Do you and find. Yeah.
1: Oh go ahead. well, well, I think j Jay, Jay had a larger point that he was about to make there, I think, but it, and yet even such a tradition as Christianity is also there are strands within it that are moving in an environmental direction. I think was
2: what you're about to say? Right, Michael Dowd was what I was thinking yeah. of specifically sure,
0: and certainly uh, the contemplative uh, mon- monastic uh orders within Christianity have more of a uh, yep. a contemplative angle to them. Yeah, I think
2: uh, Thomas Merton uh really was the keystone to to beginning to think about a wider view because he engaged the eastern religions, he engaged the contemplative life and he really began to see that there's a bigger perspective than just Catholicism. And he tried to the inner inner uh faith dialogue. I mean, he was he was one at least in this nation who who began that that process of trying to bridge the bridges and to be see a common heritage that all traditions hold and emphasizing those instead of things that divide us.
0: Yeah. The Dalai Lama is trying to do a similar sort of thing right now too. He's been making statements like that. And, uh, BT, do you, do you find that, um, like we talked earlier about the, uh, Kind of diversity within paganism and how there's this great respect across different paths. Uh, Well, you have your path, and they practice this path, and you know that kind of thing is something that I like. Jay, I'm also very attracted to, but I've also seen uh, some uh, 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 conflict—not conflict, but some rough. Roughness uh, in the relationships here and there between uh, the naturalist pagans and the, I guess supernaturalist pagans, for lack of a better word. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, do you do you see or have you encountered much uh, hostility from other pagans toward naturalist yes. pagans? Yes.
1: Yes. Let me let me put it this way. You can analogize it to American politics, right? Everybody believes in freedom of choice and democracy and yet there everybody also has a given particular political angle that they are very much devoted to and which they can really get their hackles up when they when they get into it with someone of an opposing view so to me that kind of sums up my experience in the larger pagan community is yeah everybody believes in diversity and, and like believes in welcoming others of you know different varieties of whatever ideas that you have and yet at the same time you start getting into conversations and you've got these ideas that you're very passionate about and invested in and that's just a recipe for yeah, ruffled feathers to yeah. put it lightly so it's not all peaches and cream <laughs> right but we try like i said before we try it has asterisks but we try
2: <laughs> yeah i think that's more to do with the people involved than it is the tradition itself because you can find i i when i started uh doing secular buddhism um i had people call me yeah I, 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 you weren't a buddhist you know you're not a buddhist because you don't oh, believe yeah. in re- reincarnation so you're going to find it and and I mean, of all the people, the Buddhist was the the strongest on, it's just a raft, you know? He he told the the parable of the raft. And and you're going to find that in all traditions. And and, uh, paganism, because, or even one of the traditions of paganism, if they find a path, it really connects with them. They really feel this is it. And this is the way. And instantly, anybody else who's outside of that, their antagonists. The, the key is to hold your beliefs lightly. Yeah. It, it really yeah. is. Because to me, the, the, the problem is not in all the religions. The problem is not what you believe. The problem is certainty that you're right. Ah, it's,
1: very it's, good way it, to put it. Yes.
2: It's the certainty that causes people to kill other people, to persecute other people. It's when you have, as we, one of the first podcasts we did humble approach to knowledge. If you are not absolutely certain your path is right, then you have no right to tell someone else that they're wrong.
0: And when you don't have a emphasis on compassion, then you especially make yourself susceptible to all kinds of darkness when you exactly. take away that humility. Yep.
2: Well, I think those two go together. Mm. You know, yeah. I think humility breeds the compassion. I don't know about you guys, but i made enough mistakes in my life to realize that most of the time I've been wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've been wrong enough to know that, you know, my belief that I have now that I think is just so right might actually not be right. So I hold it right. with a sense of humility and also a sense of responsibility to make sure that, you know, that what I'm believing is, in fact, according with my best understanding of reality. And that's the best mm-hmm. that we any of us can do. You know, everybody believes what they believe for a reason. They have reasons for it. We may not agree with those reasons, but they have reasons for it. And for that reason alone, we should tolerate and respect other viewpoints. Hmm. Sometimes we learn most in
0: terms of, oh, sorry, go ahead.
2: Sometimes we learn the most from those that are, are complete opposite of what we believe. It shows our faults, our weaknesses in what we believe, and we can learn from that. And if we come with that attitude, where instead of fighting, it's dialogue; instead of persecution, it's understanding. It kind of goes back to that. I think it was. I think it was Saint Francis. May I seek to understand rather than to be understood.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's really the, the approach that, if if we really want to get along on this planet, we're going to have to do because we're never going to agree. It's just impossible to get every. You can't even get. 12 people together in a room to agree about everything. It's just not going to happen. Mm. So, if the planet's not going to agree, then we have to learn to deal with disagreements, to deal with the plurality of reality. You know, we're all going to have mm. different thoughts. And the best we can uh-huh. do is that love and compassion and humility. And that's how we get along on this planet.
0: Well said. Yep. So, what about, um, BT, if I could ask you, uh, I keep thinking of uh, maybe our, our more hard naturalists might, who might be listening and trying mm-hmm. to imagine, you know, what they might be curious to hear. And um, I, I still wonder if you could just describe a little bit for them why paganism at all, why um, why ritual? How does ritual work? Pagan ritual and Why do you do it? How does that function in terms of your practice in your life as a naturalist?
1: Sure. I'm going to start off by reformulating the question in a way I often hear from what I think you're calling hard naturalists, meaning somebody who's like, there's no God and I want everybody to know it. And I don't want anything that even smells like a God Mm. in my, you know. Um, I often hear the question why do I have to believe in gods? And the question is, buddy, you don't. <laughs> but why not? <laughs> it's not about... It. So we're in our Western culture, which comes out of Christianity and Judaism, the whole Abrahamic tradition, we're so locked into the idea that religion is about what you have to believe, that when we encounter something where you don't have to believe something then it, it doesn't compute, right? So first of all, when we ask the why question, it's it's not why do I have to? It's perhaps why might I want to would be a better way to put it, when you're if at least if you're talking to a pagan. Yeah. Okay. Now, why might I want to do ritual? Why might I want to pray to a deity that I know doesn't exist, etc. Um, so let's, let's start with the hard one, which is why might I want to pray to a deity? Because that's, that's like (laughs) probably the most difficult thing for someone like that to probably wrap their mind around. And I kind of got into it before, but I can drill down a little bit deeper. When I go and I kneel before my altar to Isis, which is an Egyptian goddess, um, kind of a mother figure as as I feel I relate to her, though she has other aspects that are much more severe. When I kneel before my altar to Isis and I chant to her and then start kind of a spontaneous, free unburdening of my heart, just talking to her, it changes something inside me in how I feel about whatever problems or emotions that I'm feeling that day. There's something different about thinking about a problem in sort of like a neocortex kind of a logical kind of way, a problem-solving approach. There's something different about that versus communicating with another person even if it's not actually a real other person. It changes something in you. So that's part one, okay? It's about what happens inside you in your psychology. Part two is, well, okay, fine, but why don't I actually talk to another person? I'll just go to a coffee shop. We can have our gab, you know, I'll, I'll rant for a while about my problems and we'll feel better, right? Well, first of all, not everybody is going to really want to hear all your deepest anxieties and things, you know. It takes a very special friend that some people may not have to to have someone who's willing to engage with you on that level, right? Also, even no matter how close that friend is, they don't know all the context and the backstory of what you're feeling and they don't know all your deep secrets that you have kept even from them because, yes, you are a human being and you keep secrets because you're embarrassed about little things, right? A, someone, a, a person that you're addressing in your mind, such as this deity Isis, has none of those hangups, has none of those judgments against you, doesn't need all the explanation of background that that person knows you as well as you know yourself because she is yourself. So there is an advantage to be seen in actually talking to a being that's not even real. And if you want to say, well, that's just an imaginary friend, I'll say the same thing with physics. Yes, it's an imaginary friend, but why do you say just? It's awesome.
0: (laughs) You know, in a sense, we're always talking to imaginary beings because – we never really know another person. We know bits and pieces of them and we construct in our imaginations what we think they are and who we think they are. And really that's the person we're talking to because we have this kind of Mm -hmm. subjective shroud outside of which we can never really, uh, attain pure knowledge. So, um, Every everyone we speak to, I mean, we we try to project our uh, messages to them, and we don't really know how it's going to ring around inside of them, and you know, so there is somewhat of a uh, imaginary person there in in all those cases as well. Yeah. So and, my question and,
2: for you, uh,
0: yeah.
2: Brandon, is ISIS. Okay. hmm You're saying that. Kneeling before ISIS, praying, Mm -hmm. gives you spiritual substances, gives you a better, broader perspective. Mm -hmm. The other side of the question, from a supernaturalist perspective, is how do you know that ISIS isn't real and that that's why you're feeling it? And then, in fact, so if you're saying you're praying to an imaginary friend, but mm-hmm. that imaginary friend might be real.
1: Yeah, I can't so prove how do you,
2: she's not. Yeah, but how do you take a naturalist viewpoint if you're saying that she might be real?
1: Yeah, so you can't prove a negative, right? right? You can't prove that something is not there. If you tell me that there is an invisible butterfly to the left of my right ear, if that even makes sense, I don't know.
2: But, you <laughs> know you know what I mean? So <laughs> No, the burden of proof I, there's is no on...
1: There's no way that I can disprove that, right?
2: Right.
1: Neither can I disprove that. Uh, there's no way I can say that definitively. ISIS or any other deity or spirit or ghost does not exist. But we also have to look at probabilities, and based on every attempt to, you know, locate, detect whatever a a, a spiritual being of any kind, and how. how little evidence we have been able to gather and how flimsy any evidence someone would put forth, how flimsy that seems to be, the probability that any such being exists, also, and even considering that we have no known instance of a mind that can exist separate from a physical body. That doesn't seem to be how things work in nature. That's a big part of the probability, too. All of that put together, the probability that Isis or any other deity exists is very, very low. I cannot prove that those beings don't exist, but I can say that the probability is low. And at that point, I am fine with saying I don't know. Who cares? I don't know. I'm just going to get on with my life because I have found a practice that works for me and It's a rare instance that I go to my altar and talk to Isis like I'm describing with some kind of emotional knot or problem or something hang up that I'm feeling. It's a rare instance where I do that and don't feel unburdened or with the knot having come undone or loosened by the time that I leave it. There's something very powerful about it that works really well for me. It may not work for everybody, but... It works really well for me, and I don't see why I
2: should not do that. And, and that's – see, the thing that I, I, I guess I, – I didn't express it very well. In mm-hmm. Christian – one of the things uh, – when I was a Christian uh, minister and, and teacher, and one of the things that they would use in apologetics to prove the existence of God was personal experience. You just mm-hmm. use personal experience, and to me, the conclusion – from If I do this and there's a result, there must be a cause, and the cause, you're saying, is psychological, but if someone believes in ISIS, they would say it's actually ISIS. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying about the, the the proof of the existence is in the personal experience. ISIS exists because of my personal experience with ISIS.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's where I think if well, you were a naturalistic pagan, you would also incorporate into your paganism your naturalism. Which comes along with a host of uh, um, kind of take on reality based in evidence and, and reason and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, well, that's true too. The argument from experience is also easily dismantled. The old proverb is "Where there's smoke, there's fire," but that is an inference, and it and it can be um, it can be wrong. You can see smoke, but then it turns out that it actually it's not really smoke from a fire. It's um, I'm like dry ice fog or <laughs> I right, don't know right, what. Right. But anyway, the point it, if we lived in a universe where there was no fire and you saw smoke, that right. would not make it probable that there was fire. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. there's other things that can, that can produce smoke, like you know, impressions. You
0: know? The good news though, is that we don't have to know, you know, yeah. we're, we're never going to know everything, but, what we can do is say, well, these experiences don't prove this other model that goes beyond strictly what the experience is, but they they do at least do what they do as an experience. Exactly. So at, at the very least, we can utilize that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel, therefore I feel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Right. And, and not go any further than yep. the evidence allows.
0: That's part of the humility, too, not just humility to other people, but humility within ourselves, um, not, not trying to overclaim or saying, oh, I know what this is all about. I got it all figured out. I, I got my whole model here of why this happens. We don't need to build all that. It's not our burden.
1: Yeah, or if you do go ahead and build it, just know that there's a you know, certain probability of error built into
0: sure. it don't you know? be so don't mad be when other people don't buy it
1: <laughs> yep and, and and don't have a hundred percent certainty in it just like jay was saying Yep. just exactly. accept that you can't know everything I mean, that's what i do
0: well i think i should uh uh we're getting kind of close on time here but we uh i don't want to cut anybody off if we still have something to jay did you have anything else you wanted to ask bt no
2: no it's uh, I uh, i will say thank you for uh coming on and uh, answering some some tough questions, so I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: absolutely. it's it's
0: been really great. It's always great uh, talking with you, BT, of course. But uh, it was it was a neat idea that Jay had. Uh, it was Jay's idea to ask you to come on as a to be interviewed on this, and it is a topic that SN today definitely needs to cover. Um, so I appreciate definitely. it too. Thanks.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm glad you guys are keeping the podcast going, and I'll be, I'll be back.
0: <laughs> I uh, also want to mention to our listeners that, that we have lots of resources on humanistic paganism and naturalistic paganism on our website. Um, many of them were written by B.T. Newberg, and uh, we have that in terms of our articles. You can search our articles. We also have our Spiritual Naturalist Archives which have uh, loads of information and resources and interesting things to read. And then, of course, uh, a lot of this kind of thing is discussed in our online course, which B.T. Newberg designed for us um, when he was education director. So please go to our site, spiritualnaturalistsociety.org, and uh, check those out. Mm -hmm. And uh, humanisticpaganism.com would be another good place to explore this further.
1: Yeah, and I'd also like to add for the listeners that what I've been doing lately is I've got a, a different podcast that I've started and gotten going since uh, since last September, uh, which is a history podcast, history with humor podcast called Dead Ideas, um, and it's uh, a podcast that explores ideas that were once believed to be true, but not anymore, and that may sound like it's a complete non sequitur from everything else that I've been talking about here with spirituality and all these edifying topics and stuff. But actually, I don't see it that way. Um, it is a very humorous podcast, but the, we try to use the humor as a way in to really interesting peoples in history that believed things very much different from what we believe today. Like, uh, say, for example, um the miasma theory of disease, which uh, believed that disease was caused by stinky air, basically, (laughs) (laughs) including plague.
0: It's kind of close. It could be kind of close in many cases. So
1: so anyway, the point is that you need to put yourself in someone else's shoes in order to do that. You have to develop the perspective-taking skills and the empathy in order to kind of see from their time, see from their culture, see how some of those ideas at the time kind of made it might have made some sense. And so, humor's a way in, but what we get out of it is this kind of perspective-taking thing. So, I've really been digging that. Um, Dead ideas. You can check it out at you know any. You, you've got you found this podcast. You know how to find podcasts. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: Well, that's great. I'm glad you had a chance to talk about that. It sounds like a fun time and uh, good lessons in humility. Mm-hmm. Well, um, thanks again. Thanks Jay for joining us. And uh, thank you BT for coming on and yeah. thank you to our listeners. Um, please feel free to check out the rest of our uh, episodes that we have and uh, stay tuned. We have more coming in the future. Go to our, uh, website uh, spiritualnaturalsociety.org and you can see the full list there. And until then, uh, have a great month. This program was sponsored by the Spiritual Naturalist Society. Learn more and become a member at spiritualnaturalistsociety.org. Our music was composed by John Clemis Rude. Jay Forrest is our technical director. Please share our program and join us next time on
1: Spiritual Naturalism today.